show number 21 and two-thirds, or three-quarters, or something, of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. More BassCon, this time an interview with Kathy Resch. Short and sweet, and you will be fascinated to hear about the world of Star Trek fanzines. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, we're at BASCON, and now as our special guest, we have Kathy Resch. And Kathy, I think you're going to find this a really interesting interview. Kathy is a publisher of Zines. And for those of you who don't know, zines are magazines of um, fan-based materials, stories, artwork, poetry. And I don't know, Kathy will tell us a lot about it, but um, at one time I know there used to be articles and sort of essays, and I don't know if they do that anymore, but Kathy's been publishing zines for some time. has published a couple stories of mine, but um, at the cons there's always a dealer's table or dealer's room where there are a lot of tables and they're selling things, trekabilia and zines. And so Kathy does this, she puts the zines together, gathers the stories, and so we're going to be talking to you about this. Well, let's ask her the questions we asked everybody else. Okay. This is how we're starting all our interviews, mm-hmm. and the fir- there are two questions which go together. First one is, how did you get into Trek, the, sh- uh, the show? And uh-huh. then part two of that is, how did you get into Trek fandom? Okay. Well, as far as Star Trek is concerned, you know, it was I'm an original fan. Uh, we started watching the fifth episode. My father had been on a business trip seeing this show. He likes science fiction. My mother likes science fiction. He came back and says, we have to watch this show. So first episode I saw was Enemy Within, and I thought, <gasps> Oh, this is good. good. (laughs) This is good. I was hooked from the very first minute. How I got into fandom in 1975, there was a book published called Star Trek Lives. Mm -hmm. Talked about fan fiction. I said I have to read this. And as soon as I wrote off to the address at the end of the book and got the listing of zines, I went and ordered a whole bunch of these. And shortly after that, I thought I have to write this and I have to publish this. How long was that? Because that's something we've been getting from a lot of people. Is how long between the time you started reading? until you started writing? Uh, probably about six months. Oh, okay. Probably about six months. Mm-hmm. And I started publishing a fanzine in 1975. It was not Star Trek. Uh, it was a little mimeographed 20-page fanzine for the 1960s soap opera Dark Shadows. Oh, so wow. That and that's was, a fandom that still goes on. Oh, it yeah. still goes on, yes, all these years later. But uh, that was, you know, uh, I just immediately knew I wanted to be able to publish as well as write. And, you know, got me a little mimeograph machine. What a lot of work that was. And I was off and running. <laughs> yes. So were you, it sounds like you've been pretty Trekkish all along. Yes. We were talking about the fact that, that some people were into Trek originally and then kind of faded away because there wasn't a lot going around it. And then kind of the movies came back and that sparked it again. And then... Mm-hmm. The, the interest in Trek came back after yes. after a dormant period, so to speak. But for you, it sounds like it was pretty much there all along. I've been active in Trek ever since I got into the fandom. I've ha- gone through a whole lot of other fandoms. I'm very multi-fanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to not... 
uh, discard a fandom, I tend to acquire new ones, and a lot of the new ones go through phases where they're very active mm-hmm. and then kind of fade away. For example, I was very into Wise Guy, you know, about 15 right. years ago. There was a lot of interest then, but it never really had a huge amount of fix, so, you know, it's sort of like one fandom after the other. Uh, if something comes along in one of my favorite fandoms, I will definitely still read, no matter, you know, which fandom mm-hmm. it was. But Trek has been consistent for me. I have never yeah. gotten out of Trek. It's basically, I feel it's where my home is. Mm. So what are, what are the fandoms you're into right now, and you're reading and writing and publishing? Well, I'm only writing Trek. I'm publishing Trek. I recently did a Deuce South zine, mm-hmm. uh, and I would like to do another Garrick Bashir zine. That's uh, Deuce Space Nine. Mm-hmm. I'm working on collecting submissions for that. So those, those are my current projects. Oh, wow. That's- and... So you've been continuously publishing since the 70s, so you've been yes. through a lot of changes in A fandom. lot of changes, yes. And we've, we've talked, maybe not so much in the air, but we always have these discussions when we're at cons about how the relationship between the zine world and the net world is morphing and changing. Mm-hmm. And, and you've, you've been part of that. And part of my experience when I first came into fandom, I came into the net and was writing there. And there were a certain number of people there who were also reading zines. And they're saying, you should publish in the zines. And I did contact some people, and you were one of them. Uh And at that time, we're talking about like... Uh, 98, 99, right. you were, I believe, the only zine publisher I found, because it was Chaos, it was a Star Trek then, mm-hmm. who was willing to take stories that had been published to the net. Mm-hmm. So is that changing, or, or was that a controversy that you were doing this at the time within the fandom? No one really commented on that, you know, just as a controversial thing, you know, just, you know, I just you know, made sure people knew that these stories had been on the net, you know, people like to be informed about that. Right. But there have been a number of collections of net originally published on the net stories since then for example there's been two issues of zine called cyber dreams which has collected uh, a number of stories that were net ba- uh, originally published on the net uh, there was one called festival uh, i'm sure you're familiar with kira's site side yes. by side yes yes and she ran one of her festivals and they collected uh, quite a number of stories from this and published it in a collection of its own so it's now there seems to be a synergy between the two mediums that i don't think was there in 1999 no yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. so I I was just wondering I mean it seemed like between probably 1975 and maybe 1995 was when zines were huge because that was the only way to get a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that was really the peak like right before people really started using the internet to communicate and do you think that there's been a drop off in zines print zines I'm talking about there's been some drop off I don't think it's as much as some people anticipated because we're getting a lot of people uh, from the net who are now looking into zines as a medium they're curious about it Mm -hmm. you know uh, a few years ago I thought well you know fandom is going to go entirely online but I think there's still an interest in print as a very tactile medium you know just uh, it's it's something that people enjoy the production of so I'm not seeing nearly as much of a drop off as I had anticipated just a few years ago now were you involved at all in in the times when I think maybe it was going along same as, as zines or as an alternative, or maybe it was earlier, where people were simply mailing these stories to each other. If they called them letter zines, I think. Well, that's very interesting because I'm currently involved in a project called Legacy, and uh, this is something that's being... Um, 
that's planned to be published by Beyond Dreams Press uh, in about a year's time. But what the editor of that has, you know, assigned a number of associate editors, myself included, to basically do the history of KS. And essentially that was almost the history of Slash Fandom, the beginnings mm -hmm. of Slash Fandom. Mm -hmm. And I have been interviewing a number of people who were involved in the 1970s, including a couple of women in England who were familiar with a very early, early pass-around stories, of which there were a few. Uh, there was another fandom called The Professionals, which relied very heavily on circuit stories. There were some in chaos at the very beginning, and we're gathering up information on that, and we're going to have an extensive section on how chaos started, wow, how the entire so cool. phenomenon took off. Oh, that'll be wonderful, because, you know, that's been written about and talked about in some academic circles, but mm -hmm. this will be from an insider's point of view, and I don't think they've really gotten gotten that. It was no. an outsider sort of look, drawing back the curtain a little, peeking at the fandom, but that would be wonderful. I would want to read that. This is something that you, ex you exactly expressed what we wanted to do. This is from the people who were there. Who lived it. Who lived it. I was there, you know, very, very early, so, you know, I knew most of these people. I did not start actually publishing Chaos for another five years after I got into fandom, but I was buying it and reading it from the very beginning. I was in contact with, say, you know, people who were the very first people involved. We were just discussing uh, at BASCON about doing a panel for next year on the influences of, cultural influence of the time that got women to consider doing erotic writing to do uh, male male stories and so we're talking about doing a panel at next BASCON on that subject as well uh -huh. and this is one of the questions I'm asking people who are involved in the very early part of chaos what, were there any cultural inspirations such as the Alexander the Great books by Mary Renault and uh, it's a fascinating project I think it's going to be uh, really comprehensive as well because I've been able to contact quite a number of people from those days. So how many zines a year do you publish now? Oh, uh, probably two or three. Yeah. Yes. And how many cons do you go to? About four. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of cons. Well, <laughs> well, two of them I drive to, you know. Too. So, you know, driving, you know, that's no big deal. You know, just, you know, I get in my car, I go escapade as an hour and a half away. Wow, but it still it seems like a lot. So when you're at a con, some of the time you spend on the panels, mm -hmm. some of the time you spend in the dealer's room, presumably. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then... Um, do you do anything, like, are you soliciting for work, or, or do you, what do you do to actively promote the zines, I guess, while you're at a con, typically? I talk to uh, lots of people. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm not, not going out there saying, going up to people, I really want a story from you. I'm just talking to people, having conversations, and then it all comes up, you know, just, it's, it's just this very synergistic process, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, matters like it's a social occasion, you know, we're into, you know, the same thoughts and ideas, we spark ideas off mm -hmm. each other, and it goes from there. Wow. So, um... Do you remember, like, what, you must have been at the early cons. Do you remember what your first con was or some of those experiences? Well, my first one was just a general Star Trek convention in Manhattan, but a lot of KS fans were there, and I was going to meet all these people who were the writers and publishers and artists, you know, that I really admired, and I was very excited about this. I was 20, very young, 20-something. And I went off, uh, flew to New York City by myself, which was quite an experience. First time in New York? First time in oh, New wow. York. And uh, it was uh, not the first time I'd been to a convention with Star Trek guests, but it was my first time going to a convention with guests and with other people actively involved in fandom versus just being there as a uh, part of the audience. It was very exciting. 
Wow. That's cool. So um, for our, our, our listeners who don't know, BassCon, I think we've, we've said, is, is focused pretty exclusively on Slash. But as you were saying, there's also these general cons. Mm-hmm. And so the cons you're going to now, is, the, is it still a mixture of the general and the, and the Slash focus? Yes. There's two specifically Slash cons I go to year, BassCon and Escapade, both in California. There are other Slash conventions throughout. Uh, for example, there's one in Maryland, which I'm not able to attend, you know, because I can only do so much travel. Is that Shore Leave? Uh, that is actually Connections. I think oh, they had okay. their oh, right. last yeah. one this year. I do go to Shore Leave every year because that is the gathering place of Chaos fans. And that is also the biggest of the fan-run cons, isn't Yes. It? It's one of the last of the fan-run uh, cons which have professional guests, too. Yes. Yeah. yes. Which makes a very, very nice atmosphere because, you know, at your standard professional convention, you just kind of shun it here and shun it there, and here's the programming and that's it. And the people who run Shore Leave are fans. Mm-hmm. And there's something going on all the time. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we should point out that it, most people, if they know about cons, they know about the creation cons, and those are the ones you're talking about, the commercial yes. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to find the type of zines, the slash zines, the sexy zines, those sort of things at creation con. They're sort of under the table, and that's yes. The fan run cons, it's it's a very different atmosphere, mm-hmm. and I enjoy both types of, of conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, as a zine publisher, have you ever had any contact with Paramount or the powers that be or anybody ever? No, never. That's a, it's a huge fear. I, I mean, yes. it, especially now, um, I'm sure people who read the news are reading that the FBI is out, like doing the war on porn now, because apparently we've won the war on terrorism, so right. After the war now on we're porn. moving to porn. And I've seen um, that some erotica sites have been taken down either voluntarily, not fan mm-hmm. stuff, but just erotica sites have been taken down voluntarily or by force that the FBI has actually busted a couple people for publishing online erotica that mm-hmm. was not, you know, child porn or incest or anything that you just would find regular, really offensive. Just regular porn. Yes. And there's always been a lot of discussion in the fan community about what's permissible, what Paramount is allowing and what they're not allowing, and mm-hmm. when they might decide to crack down, if ever. I mean, what, why do you think they let this stuff go on, Paramount? Um, that's a very good question. There's been lots of speculations mm-hmm. over the years. Certainly Gene Roddenberry was supportive of fanzines. He was supportive of KS. Uh, he, you know, came out and said this explicitly at one event I attended. I mean, ex- as explicitly as he did. It was uh, in the early 1980s at the Concord Pavilion here in Northern California. And it was Gene Roddenberry giving a talk, and this one guy stood up, and he was absolutely outraged. He'd learned about Slash. He was outraged. You know, he got, got up and, you know, put this out there, and Gene Roddenberry uh, cut him off when he was about halfway through and said, you know, explain what fanzines were and, you know, said there's a lot of very creative, interesting women doing these, and, uh, you know, I rec- if you're interested in this sort of thing, I recommend you track these down. Uh, there certainly have been a lot of fears over the years over, you know, things such as you just mentioned. For example, in the 80s, there was the Mies Commission right. on porn. Oh, yeah, because that was very effective, you know. <laughs> <laughs> totally wiped porn off the Precisely, face of that, you know. you know, just that I expect the current thing is going to be the exact same. Same thing. I've lived through so many of these different, you know, scares, and there was a scare back then because of the Mies Commission mm-hmm. on what, how would this impact fan fiction, but nothing came of that, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think I've just been around a long time, and I've seen it yeah. two or three times already. I wanted to read her the quote from Shatner, because I just oh, thought yes. this was hilarious, so we, we just were talking, talking about, about Trek people who know about it, there was mm-hmm. recently, this past week, an interview with Shatner in some British magazine, and um, the reviewer, the interviewer said to him, 
Are you aware that a group of female fans write gay porn fiction about Kirk and Spock on the net? This is his response, and there's a little parenthetical to explain his facial expression, which says, baffled. And Bill says, the women write the stories? Really? I wasn't aware of anything like that was happening. It's very exciting to hear that, he says. Bill likes anything women do. And if they're doing something that has to do with sex, he likes it a lot more. And sex that has to do with him, okay, if Leonard has to be there, all right, all right. But it's very exciting. So JK pointed out, she pointed out, Bill has become very adept at lying about things like that because clearly he knows about this. But I thought that was a very fun response, you know, and the fact that he ends up by saying, it's very exciting to hear that. (laughs) That's very funny. send him some. That's so Bill. It is. So, um... Given your history and everything, besides Gene Roddenberry, have you heard reactions from other TOS cast members or other people? I mean, we've heard some things, but you personally, have you heard them talk about this or respond to questions? Uh, well, I've heard of them evading questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's been a lot, uh, particularly in the early days, the late 1970s particularly, there were some extremely rabid anti-KSers. You know, they basically felt that Slash was an indication of the end of the world as we knew it, and it was their personal mission to wipe this off. And, you know, they made a point of, you know, confronting actors at conventions with Mm -hmm. zines that they had purchased, put it in their face. And Nazis. uh, (laughs) Pretty much so. You know, just... and they had to give up after a while because the actors just did this little sidestep around the whole issue. Mm-hmm. Everyone did a sidestep around the whole issue, and finally they realized we were not going to just go away. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that. They kind of gave up after a yeah. while. And I think the actors are smart that way. They do not want to confront the fans in this negative way. Yes. And certainly, you know, when I had William Shatner sign the spanking list, he barely batted an eyelash. <laughs> and I know someone um, who had... This is, like, within the past six, seven years, had a, a KSC with a beautiful, beautiful um, drawing on the on the back cover, a naked Kirk Spock, one of the really better drawings. Mm-hmm. And she went right up to the autograph table and had Leonard Nimoy sign that. And I've heard, I've heard of that from other people. They've heard about it. But I know someone who's actually done that. And he just, he just signs it. They are not going to... They, they just do not want to get that involved with the fans, whatever our kookiness is. It's like, oh, fine, I'll sign it, go away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, just it's, it, I've known several people who have done just that, you know, and they don't even bat an eyelid anymore. You know, yeah. it's just so, you know, just all fan activity is probably a little bit incomprehensible anyway, so, you know, why not a bit more of this? And, you know, the way I view it also, you know, just... Ever since the motion picture industry has been in existence, people have sent letters of their sex fantasies to actors. Mm-hmm. You know, during the original run of Trek, you know, I think in one of the books it actually describes some of the explicit letters that were sent in, speculating on all sorts of things, but particularly about Spock's genitalia, for example. You know, just you know, uh, just letters into the studio of this sort of explicit thing people sending in. They know people have their fantasies. They know people are out there. And all they have to do is just do the little sidestep around and not face it directly. Well, it's very interesting, too. Um, I feel like you're, you're a very knowledgeable fan and, and, you know, you've had a lot of experience. But it's very funny sometimes to, to have a little experience, a little... Inter- interaction with the fans who have not been around and certainly on William Shatner's website if you've ever gone to that BBS every now and then somebody will get a, you know their panties in a twist over some of the stuff that goes on and well if Bill knew about this he would be <laughs> outraged 
Craig and he would stop it. And Bill, can't you do something about it? Yeah. What people are doing with your name and your image. And I'm thinking, get a grip, people. He is an actor, and he has been an actor his entire life and a successful one. Yes. And he knows all this stuff, and he knows that's part of the job is you're going to be somebody's sex fantasy. Exactly. This is Hollywood we're talking about. This is the this is the motion picture and television industry. These people are very sophisticated about just about everything. This is no none of this is any surprise to any of them. But I do see those sort of comments and posts. I'm going, you know, just uh, you're 30 years too late. <laughs> really? So here's something that that I think is interesting. Tell me what you think about it, given your history. It seems you know we we know that back in the old days um, when people were writing about um, gay porn when they were writing slash it was very much um, in a closed place because in society you didn't want to talk about that stuff and we like to think that society has actually come a little bit further along the path and mm-hmm. I have seen a number of articles in even in our local papers that talk about this phenomenon in a very like oh how interesting you know straight women are getting off on gay men mm-hmm. not just even in fan fiction but in movies and in television and all that yes. um, does it feel like maybe that's part of why there are so many fandoms now that that are specifically about um, slash pairings? Because it, it seemed like it was very Trek focused for a long time, and maybe a couple other fandoms. And then within the last maybe ten years, there's just been an explosion of slash for everything. Mm-hmm. And it seems like maybe that's tied a little bit to a more relaxed societal atmosphere towards gay relationships. Or maybe I'm just making that up. There is some <laughs> of that. There is also tech. You know, back in the '70s, you had to have a certain number of people willing to purchase a zine to make it economically feasible. Mm. With photo offset printing, you had to have a minimum print run. In the 80s, there were you know, quite a lot of advances in printing. You could do much smaller print runs. That's when other slash fandoms came in. Starsky and Hutch was one mm-hmm. of the first. But then there became Man from Uncle, uh, Professionals, Blake Seven, Quantum Leap. Uh, you know, there were quite a number of fandoms that started out in the 80s. Then you have the Internet, you know, then now there is no economic reason, you know, anymore not to write whatever you want about whoever, even if only one other person out there is going to read it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, a liberation by both societal, you know, changes in societal focus, but also just the ability to narrow cast to mm-hmm. just the people mm-hmm. who want to read it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the, the phenomenons I've found hanging out in Slash fandom is there's sort of this push-pull thing about how real do we want it to be. Do we want it to be our fantasies? But then there's also this certain aspect of, wouldn't it be exciting? And I've heard people tell these stories about, you know, they've seen Bill and Leonard together, and they just seem so... (laughs) So I want to know, because you actually attended the con, you were very central, you were in the dealer's room, you were at panels, you were at the whole thing. Has there been any discussion at all? What has the discussion been, the reaction among slashers to George Takei coming out as gay? Everyone's talking about it. Are they? Everyone is talking about it. And everyone is not only just on the Trek list, but people are saying, people are talking about it on slash lists across the internet. Uh, 50% of the people saying, well, everyone knew that in the last (laughs) years, which, you know, a great many people did. And I'm hearing that from non Trek fans. Well, who didn't know that? And then I'm hearing from people who say, well, I didn't know that. 
that, you know, just, but it's been overwhelming, supportive, pleased, uh, uh, basically the feeling that society has come to the point that he is comfortable as an actor to come out, to talk about his relation, his long-term mm-hmm. relationship, and to be open about it, and people are very pleased about that. So, do you think that we're going to see an explosion of Sulu Slash now? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> there, there has, there's always been a very few people, there was a whole series of uh, oh, Sulu Fox stories in the 80s, as you know, two women wrote. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're ever going to see a huge amount of it. You probably will see an upsurge right now, but I don't think it's going to carry on at a high level. You'll probably just see the same level of uh, people writing erotic stories about the other Trek characters as have been doing all along. Um, we have ranted on, on a few shows about George Takei and his whole thing against William Shatner and Shatner destroyed his career and everything. And one of our listeners on hearing about Takei sent us a very funny email saying, do you think this is, this is Takei's like, final hurrah of trying to wrest the spotlight from Bill Sl- Shatner and at least become tops in Slash? <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, I kind of like that point of view. I thought it was pretty funny, pretty clever. It could be true. <laughs> if I can't get him any other way, I'll beat him in those fancies. <laughs> that is really funny. Well, I know he's starring in a new version of Equus, isn't yeah. he? It's involved. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and you know and that's that all. Down about- in LA? Yes, and I believe you know it's been so many years since I saw that. You know, it isn't that about. Uh, identity, you know, just... Well, yeah, it's, yes. it's a very interesting Sanity. Thing, the boy with the obsession with horses yes. and then the, the psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, many years ago, didn't Nimoy play the psychiatrist in a yes. tour? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. I never had the opportunity to see that, but I know that he did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, he made this announcement in conjunction with this play, and, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was any sort of way to get publicity for the play, but it may have been a spur to him, you know, discussing a play that deals with identity issues uh, in a very extreme way actually mm-hmm, yes. uh, but it may have been the impetus for him to say oh it's time it's mm-hmm. time to come out it's time to you know talk about my life yeah have there now that I'm, I'm thinking and i can't remember are there any other actors for fandoms that you were involved in for example who've come out i can't think of any i can't think of any i can't either. think of any i mean hardly ever do actors really come out because right. it's yeah. so detrimental their career in the world but so they wait, you know like Tab Hunter, you know, right now admitted, yeah, and people like that, and uh, uh, Richard Chamberlain, yes. you know, but it, yeah. it's after it's when they're retired to Hawaii that they do this. Is there exactly. Dr. Kildare Slash? Uh, there has to, has be. to be, there's uh, everything. I, I, bet, I bet Dr. Kildare is uh, paired with um, who? Chad Everett. The other doctor. The other doctor show. Oh right. Oh, yes. I wish I could remember. I can't what that remember. Is, George, George Takiris was it? Or no, 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 the, no. The actor's name was Vince Somebody. Yeah. Oh well, he's probably paired. Probably. <laughs> But at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an interesting slant, and we'll, hopefully we'll see more of this, where people will be writing Slash about a character for whom the actor playing that character is actually gay. And I think that their take on the whole fan fiction thing might be a little bit different than a straight actor's. Positive or negative, I don't know, but it just would be a different context. Yeah, it certainly would. You know, I, I expect once we start seeing this happen in the real society, we'll see it reflected in fan fiction yeah. as well. You're getting, uh, jumping a little bit off, but you're talking about the surprise of uh, people finding out that women are interested in this sort of thing. I know the producers of Queer as Folk were stunned at their huge female audience. Were they? Stunned. <laughs> okay, we'll kind of flip that coin. What we are stunned at is because our involvement with fandom has been mainly through fan fiction, mm-hmm. which is a very female community. 
we don't know this for a fact, but certainly of the listeners who write to us, most are guys. Interesting. And yes. that we're we're loving that input. We're loving their feedback. That's so, interesting. So yes. maybe we're all sort of through technology finding technology. all coming together on some of these. I think things. it's great. Yes. It's one reason why we wanted to spend a lot of time talking to people like you and talking about Bascon because there are many Star Trek fans who don't even know that this exists. Yes. And there's so much good in it that people can really enjoy. And even if they don't want to read the slash stuff, they can read the regular fiction because there's a lot of great fiction out oh, there. Oh, there really is. Much better than the professionally published stuff. Much better. Because a lot of because people... we're not restricted in our character exploration. Because Ordover isn't standing over us saying, you must do this. And well, I... they have so many straitjackets on the requirements <sighs> of what you can and cannot write. You know, just any writer, you know, just how do you work among all those restrictions and create an interesting story? And I think they've painted themselves into a corner on it, because if you notice, so much of the profic now is, okay, um, let's, let's write about Khan. Uh, let's write about Matt Decker, because they have set so many restrictions, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the world now they feel on Kirk and on Spock and, and Picard is so full Yes, it's so it's cool. like, okay, let's let's go write about, let's make up a whole new series about engineers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was surprised to find I, there was a pro novel coming out fairly recently that I thought was really, really good. It's one called Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. It's excellent. It has all sorts of uh, interesting character development. Uh, it's a sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. It's also a sequel to For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. Oh, cool. And there's this marvelous line, which if you go to Amazon and look at the first chapter there, uh, it's a tease and a trick, but the fact that they put this in a pro novel is hysterical. Uh, McCoy says to Spock at one point, well, how did your parents feel when you came out of the closet? <laughs> Whoa! It does not mean what, what, we what we interpret. But the fact is, they put that in there. I thought, well, that has to be a wink to us mm-hmm. because there's no other reason for that line. Who wrote this? Uh, Do you know? Uh, I cannot remember the man's name. We'll it's it Chris, well. Chris something. But uh, and it's well written. It really goes into uh, the emotional implications of Spock's decision to explore emotion after Viger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the primary focus of the book is Kirk as the computer god killer. Uh, and dealing with the repercussions of all the computers he has destroyed. <laughs> oh. oh my God! <laughs> because the people of Yonata have landed. They are without their god. How do they deal with life on their new world without their god? And there is a certain faction of the population that wants revenge against Kirk. You know, that's very interesting because I feel that we as a society are in such conflict right now about is there a loss of God and, and the rise of science and everything, mm-hmm. and is that a, a threat to religion? So that's interesting. This that is in the... The tradition of Trek, to use Trek to comment on modern problems. Exactly, and he deals with those questions head on. And I thought, how did this book get published? Because it's so good. And nothing else I've read of the pro novels <laughs> in recent years. Have I, I haven't remembered them five minutes later. So, Of all the, the zines you've published and everything, do mm-hmm. you have a favorite, like a personal pet, your favorite child? Oh, dear, that's hard to say, because I can think of all sorts of... Uh, Bits and pieces, you know, certain stories, favorite portions of favorite scenes. I'm trying to think. I mean, of the ones I've published most recently, I'm very pleased with Tyler 24. I thought that came out very nicely. I'm pleased with the number 25. But, of course, I've done those the most recently, so I'm completely they're focused. They're fresh. Uh, I, I am, on, a, on the whole, very pleased with the work that I've done through the years. You know, there have been some really amazing authors, amazing writer, uh, writers and artists that I've been very privileged to publish. 
And has there been, we've asked this of a couple of other people too, um, outside of what you've published, just in fandom in general, has mm-hmm. there been one story or one piece of writing that you encountered early on that was really like the turning point, not to cite that particular piece, but, <laughs> but that really did it for you? Like you read it and you went, oh my God, this is, this is the thing that I want and I and love this piece. And it colored your Yeah, and it just changed everything from then on. There were two, two things I can refer to. You know, I had read the first chaos scene, which is alternative. There was a short story published prior to that. There was a Brit story published in the same year, uh, which was actually a parody. But then Leslie Fish's first story came out, and I thought, oh, well, this is more like it. I like this. And what was that story? Uh, Shelter. Okay. It was in Warp Space 20. Mm-hmm. And then Zine Thrust was published. And all suddenly Chaos was not just a, a little fad, you know, just some you know side, side thing to the main event. All of a sudden, Chaos was now a genre. Chaos was now something like, yes, you know, I can... I can go with this. I can start writing. I can explore. And uh, that was around the time that Chaos Scenes really took off was when Thrust was published. That's so cool. That was 1977. Wow. Wow. And so you you have to have published, what, several hundred zines now? Um, personally? Well, if you count the little 20-page uh, Dark Shadow scenes, yes, it's, uh, it's up in the couple hundreds because, you know, I was doing that uh, six times a year for several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've done 25 issues of Tahila plus uh, several standalone uh, chaos scenes. I've done uh, 26 issues of a multimedia slash scene, and then several of a Blake Seven. Uh, I've done a couple of Due South, that sort of thing. The Dark Shadows ones are ones that really put the numbers up pretty high, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's that's our that's our deal. Yeah. Thank you so much for for giving us so much of your time and your experience. This is wonderful. Yeah. You're welcome. I'm glad I could do this. I really enjoyed the podcast I've heard, and I have to hear several more. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks very much. Thank you.